Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Faith and Justice Network, where we are seeking faith and learning justice because we believe the two belong together. My name is Peter Choi, and in this episode, D.L. Mayfield and I had so much fun talking about so many different things. You might want to stay near the volume button because there was some audio clipping we were not able to correct around some of the shock and laughter in our conversation. Some of the things we talked about include what it looks like to pursue faith in the midst of crumbling institutions, a controversial talk given by Christina Cleveland at one of our past conferences that we're focusing on this month on our platform, the perils of questioning religious authorities, and much more. We also want to note that the Faith and Justice Network is now available through a monthly or annual subscription. So if you want to join the conversation, we'd love to welcome you into our community. Learn more at faithjustice.net. Good morning, Danielle. Good to see you. Hi, Peter. It's it's really good to see your face. And um, right before we started recording, yeah, you said Happy New Year. And I was like, that was like so long ago. But it was only 11 days ago. <laughs> yeah. It already feels like a long, long 2022 yeah. for me. It's been, yeah, it's been yeah. a long time since the new year, uh, but also a long time since we talked. I mean, we've, you know, we've chatted yeah. and texted and stuff, but we haven't talked like this in a long time. And a lot has happened in the world and in the world out there and then in our smaller worlds. Yeah, so uh, we have survived Christmas, right? How, how did that go for you this year? Yeah, Christmas was, uh, it was different from past Christmases. We made some plans and then had to scrap those plans and then remake mm. new plans. And uh, I think the highlight was we had some friends visiting. We did it in the most responsi- responsible way we knew how. So, you know, everyone was vaccinated, boosted. We did home tests before getting together. Uh, but it was just good to, you know, it's a small gathering, but it was good to to see some friends for a few days in a row. And um, that was probably the um, the high point for us. Oh yeah, that's that's good. That's really good. How I about feel you like guys? I feel like my family is still recovering from Christmas. Not like we did anything big, you know, um, but we're learning about neurodivergence and um, what it means that we're kind of a family of highly sensitive people. And so, it takes us a while to recover from even exciting things like Christmas. So just still kind of feels like we're in survival mode a bit. And um, it's hard. It's hard to be in my neighborhood where like, um, you know, we have zero access to like COVID tests and, and things like that. And so it's kind of the wild west in that everybody's on their own. And it's just... It's just such a bummer to see the systemic failure, you know, of the government who two years into a pandemic can't provide basic things like a test to see if you have a contagious, deadly (laughs) disease. So we are still sticking real close to home uh, uh, for the most Mm. part. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. That's really hard. Um, and, you, you know, we're in San Francisco, but I think it's kind of the same. We only got tests because we ordered them online and it wasn't supposed to get here until like later in January, but they came early. Oh, that's um, good. But yeah. Yeah. But there's lines everywhere. 
uh, testing sites are um, are few and far between. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you have to have a skill to find them. And sometimes my personality yes. is a little bit like, well, if none of my neighbors can find them, then I'm not going to mm. spend hours of my day trying to find them because yeah. what's the point? Also, we just don't really go anywhere or <laughs> do anything. Right. But just the yeah. just looking at the failure overall is like, wow, this is this is a lot for us all to try and live with right live with this reality mm-hmm. that we're in sort of a failed nation state which i'm sure many people who mm. have been marginalized have been aware of that for a long time in the united states and so therefore it's people like me who maybe have been cushioned right from so many of the failures now we're just like okay this is the reality we you know we live in a country where we can't trust the institutions mm. to do what they say they do and so that's where I'm at, Peter. I'm just, you know, being yeah. pushed more and more to the Christian anarchist end of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Completely understandable. <laughs> yeah, really so is. That, that's how I'm feeling today, like like a mm. like a depressed anarchist. But mm-hmm. very happy to be talking to you. So that's good. Yeah. Well, for good reason because it really does feel like the world is falling apart at the seams, and no one knows yeah. what they're doing. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Because usually oh. things are falling apart and you feel like, oh, you know, that person's, you know, got some ideas. and Yeah, uh, there's some there experts. Are, there's some leaders yeah, out there. Right. There are safety nets. This is supposedly a great country, whatever that means. Yeah, supposedly. As problematic as that is. <laughs> but supposedly, like, we know what we're doing, right? If yeah. anyone in the world knows what we're doing, we do. And it uh, turns out we don't. Turns out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's where yeah. that's where I'm at this January. Um, mm. <laughs> but hey, so Peter, today, you know, we were sort of talking about this would be a great opportunity for me to just ask you some questions about how some things are changing with the Faith and Justice Network. And um, yeah, so I wanted to just sort of start off by saying that, you know, we've already announced it on the faith and justice platform and made it public but yeah things are going to be shifting and you want to make it clear right from the start for anybody who's in the program already the fellowship program things are not going to be changing for them do you want to say something about that really Mm -hmm. quick yeah so we i mean we currently have uh, a group of fellows who are going through a nine-month fellowship the faith and justice fellowship it goes from September through May, and we've done that for many years now. And so we're in the middle of that program year. And uh, while there are larger institutional and programmatic changes for the long term, in the near term, like right now, for those p- current participants, nothing is really changing. Nothing substantive is changing. So yeah, that's so, going to be, you I know, think, a good word of reassurance for folks. <laughs> yeah, what they signed up for in... Uh, August, you know, is what yeah. is going to continue to happen. Now, what is changing, though, is I think starting immediately, right? People can pay like a subscription fee to have access to some of the content that the fellows also have access to. Is that is that yes. am I getting that right? Yes. So because we have a curriculum and part of the, the learning over the past few years has been that 
the the kinds of things that we're reading and talking about they're great for students like seminary students they're great for um, pastors and for uh, people of faith who are wrestling with their faith who want to dig deeper um, and and I think the real wisdom that we have been able to glean is that a lot of this stuff has relevance or is interesting, is helpful for people regardless of who you are and the work that you do. And so there is this kind of, uh, can I say, democratization of the curriculum that's been happening for a long time, that what pastors are reading are what things that laypersons, you know, sitting in the pews um, should be reading or can be reading and talking about. And so there's, there's that kind of uh, background. And then what we're saying now is, not only do you have to be part of a nine-month program where you've already made the commitment and set aside time and money for it, but you can join the conversation midstream at any time because these topics are uh, specific enough, focused enough, that anyone can jump in. You can come in, like for instance, in February and talk about race and justice, read some uh, read about race and justice, have conversations, learn for, from thought leaders who have done the hard work for a long time. Yeah. And so like, give us an example. Who's somebody that's going to be talking uh, to our community in February? So February is kind of a special month in the sense that we have two very special guests. The first is going to be Kelly Brown Douglas, uh, who just wrote a book called Resurrection Hope, A Future Where Black Lives Matter. And so she will be mm. talking about that book. And our community will be reading that book over the course of February. And then towards the end of the month, we usually have something called a fireside chat as a way to close the month. And usually it's our teaching fellows talking about some of the key questions that arose. But February is going to be a little bit different because we have uh, Lisa Sharon Harper joining us talking about her new book, Fortune. We thought it was such a great opportunity. She was available, and she, her new book is going to be coming out in February. And so it just felt like a really good way to, to close the month. And so that's different for the month of February. So it's a great, a great month to try out. <laughs> yes, it'll be a, yeah, a great month to, to jump in. Um, and then future months, the fireside chats are some of my favorite times of the month, right? Because we really get to sort of not uh, tie up loose ends. There's always going to be loose ends and things that we don't resolve. But it is a good time for reflecting on some of the key themes and questions that arose over the course of the month as a community together. Yeah, so, I mean, if people are interested in, you know, signing up for the monthly subscription, I, I just think a great way to view it is, like, this is a way to sort of have a little bit of accountability if you need it, right? To read some of these texts, read some of these books that are really important to be able to talk about your questions, your uh, curiosities with them in a community of like-minded people. And then you get to actually hear from some people who are at the forefront, right? Of thinking mm -hmm. about these issues. Um, I always enjoy the chats during these times. Um, the chat yeah. is lively. The other people who are there mm -hmm. to hear and learn are just incredible people. That you will learn from as well so for me I, I know myself I know I'm very busy I'm very overworked um, having this accountability of like we're all going to be reading these texts and discussing them um, it's like that perfect toe in the water when you know you can't actually be in a class <laughs> and do all the work but you're showing up with other people in community to process some really important topics I just think it's it's such a great way for us to 
um, maybe read and have some of these conversations we've been wanting to, but didn't know who was safe, right, to have these conversations mm-hmm. with and um, how we can fit it into our lives, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think it's the best way to read a book um, and should be the pr- the maybe the, the most common way of reading a book that you, is that you do it in conversation with other folks because we miss so much when we read in isolation or there's things that we want to talk about and mm-hmm. questions that we want to ask um, and we just don't get to surface those questions um, and have the longer conversation. So I think this is ideal. In many ways, it's kind of selfish. Like it's something we have built something that we want to participate in um, and yep. benefit from. Yep. <laughs> and so and we enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And and, you know, you can participate in ways in different ways month to month. Right. Sometimes there might be a month where you read just a few chapters or even one chapter and other months where you take a, a deeper dive. Um, I think the larger thing for us is that building a community where, I mean, you mentioned this, creating a safe space where you can have these conversations. So many of the kinds of questions we want to be asking uh, of ourselves and of our faith leaders today, it seems to me, are not very, uh, are not questions that are welcome in so many different places and contexts. And so, because these are the kinds of things that when you, when you say out loud, sometimes you might get weird looks from people. Mm-hmm. People might be concerned about your sanity or, or about your salvation. And, and it's really hard in our current climate to find spaces where you can uh, freely explore ideas that you thought you believed all your life, but you're beginning to question. What do you do with that? Where do you go with that? And so that's, that's the hope is that we can have um, those kinds of conversations. Yeah, and I do want to say, you know, safe doesn't mean um, free of discomfort or uh, questions that will make you uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Yes. It's a it's a delicate dance of um, yes, a safe place to voice doubt, concern, all of mm-hmm. that. But you will be challenged, I think, by the multiple voices right that will be highlighted each month and i think you do that on purpose is that true peter uh i i think it just happens i I think it's the state of the world i think if our eyes are open and if we're being honest we can't help but be disturbed yeah um and so i think that's just a it's just a function of living in the world that we live in Yeah, being challenged in the good way. I know that I come from, you know, conservative white evangelicalism land and just the amount of resources poured into like spiritual formation and, uh, you know, even book clubs and and communities. It was such a huge part of my upbringing. And I did feel like I was flailing when I started to question many of those things. It's like, Mm. well, I'm still a Christian. I just... I don't want to be a Christian nationalist. I don't want to live as a white savior anymore. You know, what do I do now? And that's when I found the faith and justice fellowship program. I did the nine month Mm -hmm. one and it was so incredible for me because it was a safe place for me to voice my concerns. It was like a fire hose of challenging information in the best way possible. And it Mm -hmm. gave me a framework to say, 
there is a way for me to continue to be a Christian in the world. Um, so for me, you know, I can't say enough good things about it. And I'm excited, like, that nine-month fellowship is still going to be offered. Um, but now, you mentioned the democratization, right? Now, if you're not yeah. able to commit to nine months or... Um, I believe it's a, a little bit extra money, right, to do that fellowship. You can do this monthly, here's how mm-hmm. I'm in conversations, here's how I'm learning about my faith in light of injustice, right? How do I become a more just person of faith? Um, so mm-hmm. I'm just so excited for other people who might be where I was a few years ago, right? Who's like, I'm used to yeah. institutions pouring into me, but they were all conservative. Where are mm-hmm. the spaces... I don't know if you want to say progressive or if there's a better term, but um, do you, do you understand you? I know you know what I'm saying, Peter, but like, yes, tell me a little bit about that element of it. Yeah. Well, I think we're in a place right now, at least for myself, I'll speak for myself where the, the old structures are giving way. Mm. There are, you know, there's, there's fractures and cracks in in these buildings uh, in these cathedrals that we've built that we thought would last forever and they're crumbling. And we have to ask ourselves, I think, what is going to take their place? Or mm-hmm. what, is, what kind of rehabilitative work to things that will endure um, can we see happening? And how do we participate in that? How do we build new structures? And I think for so long, we have been so comfortable being held by these institutional and cultural uh, structures that we thought would be around forever. Mm-hmm. And now that we've noticed the problematic aspects, the ways that they contribute to injustice, the ways in which they make it really hard for people of faith to hold on to faith in later stages of life. Because mm. you, you simply can't unsee things that you see over the course of your life. And so when you see corruption or you see the man-made nature of many of these things, then it's hard not to want something better well, how do you find that thing which is better? Uh, sometimes you have to be part of a community. I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise anyone do it on their own, mm. uh, but sometimes you have to, it's really helpful to be part of a community where there are like-minded people putting their hand and their minds to this common work. And I think that's what we're trying to do is there's clearly a gaping hole or holes emerging all around us. How do we begin to fill them? Yeah, so I do think, like, just as far as from a faith perspective, right, the institutions I used to love and trust, I no longer feel that way towards. And the future doesn't look like us rebuilding, like, a progressive institution, just like focus on the family. (laughs) Focus on your neighbor. That's what I would call mine if I uh, made my Uh, own. But that's not really the answer, is it? It's about forming community. It's about moving forward in mutual aid it's about smaller institutions more localized care you know this is we are the faith and justice network is not changing and shifting in a vacuum right so much is Mm -hmm. shifting in our culture right now and we talked about this a little bit but i i currently have to be mostly off social media just because um I'm a really sensitive person. And so when I go on Twitter, Mm. I just like everybody's in so much pain and everybody is experiencing the crumbling of faith and institutions. And everybody knows somebody who is sick or who has died from COVID. Everybody is struggling to find childcare because their schools are shutting down. Like 
everybody's just screaming into the void because there's so much pain, but everybody's in so much pain. And so for me, I'm like, maybe even social media that has been helpful for me during this isolating time, it's actually no longer as helpful. And so we, we need to continue to reframe like maybe a smaller community, a safer community with some boundaries around, this is what we're here to talk about. This is what we're here to process. Like all of this, I think is just going to be really helpful necessary right now but continuing in the future it's like we have to start to rebuild some community um step by Mm -hmm. step and uh yeah so just making some choices about where am i going to invest and who is a safe person for me to invest my questions my pain and um actually even my hope for the future in right who Mm -hmm. who can i be building this up with and i'm just so grateful that i have this this network and this program to be a part of Amen. I mean, there's so much wisdom in what you just shared. I think another way of um, summarizing what you shared is that when it comes to human nature or or culture or civilization, there's no such thing as a finished product. Mm. And there's always iteration happening. And the, the changes in the iteration, the steps in that iterative process can be painful and uncertain. And I think you're describing what it feels like to be in the midst of that process, to to have your eyes opened to that. Well, for so long, I think we sort of lived, for so many Christians, I would say, for people of faith, uh, we lived with this illusion that our faith was a finished product, mm. right? That, that even sounds maybe heretical to say it that way, uh, but our understanding, I think for so many of us, I think we believe that our understanding our particular, very specific, localized expressions, articulations of faith were the finished product that had universal application and power and relevance. And that simply is not true. And the the world is changing right underneath our feet. Then we find that it's not simply not applicable to the, you know, to people halfway around the world. It's no longer applicable to us. Mm -hmm. And so how then, if that's the case, how do we revisit uh, some of these questions and these bedrock uh, beliefs. One example of this, if I could offer a really specific example, is we're listening to a fantastic uh, talk given by Christina Cleveland at one of our conferences a few years ago. You were at that conference, right? It was. It happened to be in Cambridge, England, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Christina Cleveland was there, and she uh, she gave a presentation on um, the colonial legacy of Leslie Newbegin and his missionary enterprise. And that was so hard for people to hear because the people who happened to be at the conference were uh, people devoted to the legacy. They were students, scholars, and lovers of Leslie Newbegin. And it was so hard for uh, them to hear Christina Cleveland talk about this colonialist legacy that is still very much part of the world that Newbegin envisioned for uh, Christians. And I think reading and or listening to this talk is, gonna, it is going to be really challenging for our participants because they will have to ask really hard questions. She talks about her experience with YWAM and Urbana, and these are, these are Christian institutions that many of our participants are familiar with. And, and uh, being invited to interrogate that is no easy task, uh, but it's the work that I think is really important for us to do. Um, are, is On the audio, does it include the Q&A at the end? 
Oh yes, it does. It does. Okay, because that's painful where to it, listen to. So that's yes. where it gets real. It does. That's yeah. where the shit hits the fan. If I can be honest, as a participant, mm-hmm. you know, I was there. It does. I was loving her talk, and then at the end, when the Q and A starts, you're like, <gasps> okay, yeah. here, here we see the the response to when you challenge the nerds and Christina Cleveland was just yeah. so incredible she and everybody should have known that she would have done exactly what she did which was to mm-hmm. um, just call out some questions that maybe should have been asked all along of yes. of Leslie Newbegin and then um, I don't know if there's a way to do this but she then preached a sermon the next day uh, which was yeah. like a beautiful um, bookend to to her mm-hmm. entire talk so she did it all in Cambridge didn't she she did this she amazing did. critique of a historical person and then she she preached an absolute banging sermon the next day <laughs> in a chapel that was like yes. I don't know centuries old you know everything in Cambridge yes. is I, I found out but <laughs> it was it was incredible yeah yeah. Okay. So I'm tipping my hand here a little bit, but I I think it would be really interesting to listen to that sermon a month or two down the line. Let's so we do haven't it. released it yet in the program, okay. but uh, because it do, it really does. I think once we've had some time to digest uh, the content of what she says in her seminar or presentation, um, I think for us to percolate on that, and then down the line, yes, I, I think we should release Let's do the it. sermon okay. as well. That sounds yeah. great. And that's just like some 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 of what we can expect moving forward in this program, right? Is is you and other people inviting in people who are going to challenge us and to mm-hmm. um, ask us to see things from a different perspective. I, I I still think there's a lot to be done with people like myself, white evangelicals, or people who grew up ensconced in white evangelicalism to say we've been told over and over again like kind of what you said faith should be stagnant you should get to this point Mm -hmm. where you believe exactly what john piper believes and then don't ever change please don't ever change stay there and all of us are like we've tried (laughs) we tried to stay there and then life happened but um there's so much to unpack i just don't know why i did this and this will be the last thing i say but i was at powell's books and i bought a copy of Experiencing God, the workbook by Henry T. Blackburn. I don't know if you're aware Uh, of that, but Mm -hmm. like the image, you know, I did it when I was like 15 and I did, I did all the right answers. And so I'm going through it now as a depressed 37 year old woman. And it's like, yeah, we should retitle the book Experiencing God as a conservative white man. Like that's what it is. You experience God as Henry T. Blackburn. But Henry T. Blackburn throughout the whole book is like, I just read the Bible. I'm just obeying the Bible. That's all I'm doing. And you should align your life to do the same. And I'm just tired. I'm just tired, Peter. Like Henry T. Blackburn never felt the need to show his work. You know, he never felt the need to say what commentaries he was reading, what version of the Bible he read. Like he was Henry T. Blackburn. And so he got it all right. And stuff like that. I'm like, it's so deep in my consciousness because it was at such a formative time in my life. Now I'm like, we need other people to write some of these workbooks, man. (laughs) Wait, so I have so many questions about this. (laughs) (laughs) 
you, this happened recently. You were at Powell's recently like and you bought week. this book again. Yes. <laughs> okay. It so was five dollars. You gotta say more about this. What were you thinking? <laughs> Why did you do this? And and what's the exercise been? I mean, you said a little bit already, but say more, please. Well, just I'm very curious, you know, if you grew up evangelical, you have so much cognitive dissonance that you have to deal with at all times and so for me going back through this workbook it's like ah here's where a lot of it comes from is being told I have to fill it's literally a fill in the blank worksheet right and so you fill in Mm -hmm. the right answers that Henry T. Blackburn (laughs) but it's from the very beginning the first chapter it says don't trust yourself don't trust your intuition. Don't trust your life experiences. It's so very blatant. And for me, it's not that damaging. I'm like, I'm a privileged middle-class white lady. It's like, okay, I don't. But think about if you're if you're marginalized in any way in society, what it's like to be told from someone with the height of privilege to please stop trusting your intuition and only obey the word of God. And I'll tell you what the word of God says. Um so for me, it's really important. This is kind of what I I continue to do is to say there's these forces that have shaped us that just don't get studied, don't get dissected, don't get talked yeah. about. Um, yeah. And experiencing God has sold. It's I mean, this book is like what from 2001, the copy I have, and it already sold seven million copies by then. So think about the millions and millions. Of, I'm doing a season on my other podcast about um, Christian romance and and these like. Amish romance books, these Zionist romance books that have sold millions and millions of copies, but nobody's ever studied them because women read them. And I'm like, white women vote for Trump. White women are Christian nationalists. And a part of that is because they read a bunch of Amish fiction and a bunch of Zionist fiction. Like, so I'm just very curious, Peter, of how we how we got to where we are and how can we interrogate Ah, some of that that was a really long answer this is so this is so fascinating to me so this is an exercise in you retracing your steps right trying to figure out how in the world did i get where i where i am now Mm -hmm. and and then working through this workbook is a way to excavate that past and try and understand i'm not sure it's healthy Well, at least you can sort of say, oh, that's where I went wrong. And that's the wrong ter- corner I took. And that's the, you know, that's the, re- the really toxic, unhealthy belief I imbibed and allowed to regulate my life for so many years. I think, yes, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's traumatic as well. Um, but I believe in you. I believe that you have the strength and the wisdom to be able to do that work and to um, come out of it on the other side stronger and with greater clarity about who you are and where you've been. And it just made me really appreciate, you know, the voices that you pick and the people you elevate in the program and expose people to are people who do show their work. They've had to show their work. And, um, you know, if we can follow some of the footnotes, if we can follow some of the people that they quote, it's just a never ending, beautiful discovery. Um, And just whiteness within Christianity is so opposite of that, you know, they don't show their work and and the questions stop there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this reminds me of one of the one of the comments or questions that Christina Cleveland got got when she was in Cambridge. Um, Well, okay, I just re listened to this. So this is fresh in my mind. Um, the questioner said, I came here because you have um, name brand value. So this person right off the bat commodified her, 
turned her into a product. And then said, it strikes me that what you did was uh, either sloppy or mischievous. Do you recall hearing this? I know exactly the person (laughs) who said that question. His face, of course, it's a him, is emblazoned in my brain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But this is so typical of what happens when someone dares to question uh, the legacy of someone great in our midst, someone who has been heroicized. Like, how dare you question Leslie Newbegin? And one thing that doesn't come through in the audio is throughout her presentation, I mean, there was so much sort of nonverbal feedback that she got, I think, which made it really hard. It was a very hostile environment. I don't know. I noticed this because I was hypersensitive to the fact mm. that she was saying things that were hard to hear for the folks in the room. Um, but w- this is what happens. We get torn down as being sloppy, not careful enough uh, in your scholarship. Um, and then I don't know if you remember this, but just two days prior to her presentation, I actually gave one on um, recontextualizing Newbegin. And I just remember the, 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 uh, the responses where I tried to take a critical approach and some of the defensive responses were along the lines of, well, Leslie Newbegin um, was not a scholar. Also, uh, he, he was talking to pastors, so he didn't have footnotes because he wasn't trying to write an academic work. And he was kind of a magpie, and he just, you know, he wrote a lot of this stuff on planes, and and so like we can forgive his lack of academic precision, right? Because this is the kind of person he was, and he was such an original thinker, and he was such a he said things and wrote things down that no one had ever said before, and so his sloppiness. Let's look away from that. Whereas with Christina Cleveland, she gave so much evidence, right? She brought the receipts. And for her to be dismissed in that way, I think was just such a, um, uh, a sad illustration of what happens when, we, when people dare to ask questions. And I hope that we can do the opposite <sighs> of that. Ask the hard questions and have the hard conversations. Why not? What are we afraid of? Yeah, and I and I think for me, I understand how radical it is to say for you to say like this is how the Faith and Justice Network is going to be. It's going to be a place where it is safe to ask questions. It is safe to critique, um, you know, the quote unquote great minds of Christianity that we've always studied. Um, mm-hmm. But Easy I'm not sure everybody man. else. Yeah, I'm like I'm not sure everybody else recognizes like that is not how the world works and just saying that up front Uh, makes this a safe space for so many people peter so i just mm -hmm. this is nothing new you've been doing this for a long time but this is going to be a value for the program going forward and that will make it safe when i when i when i say i need a safe place that's what i mean i mean it's okay and actually encourage right to critique the white men and women right who uh, we've always just upheld as they've got it all right. And that's just not how the world works. You know, it's not true. And it's toxic for everybody, including white people. So I'm just mm-hmm. so happy. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I, uh, it'll be fascinating to hear people's response after they hear Christina's talk and hear the Q&A. Um, yeah. Be very fascinating discussion yeah. on, on the yeah. macro aggressions that happened um, mm-hmm. in that room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
my only very slight revision to what you just said would be that this is the work that we are doing together. Like we are learning from each. I learned so much from you and the other teaching fellows and the other participants. And so I'm just really grateful that you show up in the ways that you do and that you are such a vital voice and leader and teacher um, as well. And so thank you for um, the work that you do in those ways. It's great. You you don't mind me being a weirdo who goes through experiencing God and then jabbers about it to you. <laughs> I think I'm not I mean, I would love to have a small group where we go through some of these oh. toxic materials and so interesting. I, I just think it's time. It's time for that. Anybody listening, maybe God is calling you to write better workbooks. <laughs> Because maybe they'll sell, you know, 10 million copies. I mean, that's just what's so astonishing to me is how prolific some of these these people continue to be. And it helps you to appreciate the staying power of uh, these ideas. Yeah. Right. Of this kind of theological worldview. Yeah. That's also in you and in me. I know. Okay. Well, Peter, do you want to just in case there's people, you know, who are listening, who aren't a part of the fellowship program or anything, you want to just do any little like um, particulars, financials. Do you want to talk about that? Or you just want to tell people to go to the website? I think just go to the website, Mm -hmm. faithjustice.net. And as you know, I'm not a big social media person, but I believe we're on all the major channels. (laughs) And so Twitter and Facebook and (laughs) Instagram, I think we're there. (laughs) So check those out too. Yeah. And if you're in the fellowship and, you know, feel free to share this podcast. Um, it's now available like on all platforms, I believe. Oh, yes. We should have mentioned this as well. So welcome to our new listeners, because what, one of the things that we did over the, the new year transition was we made this podcast public, yeah. including all of the episodes from uh, September or August. So they're all there. And yeah. moving forward, yes, this would be available. So feel free to so share the podcast. Yeah, share it. Um, well, I have some really awesome people I'm going to continue to be talking to about spiritual practices, faith practices, and then me and Peter will keep meeting and talking to other awesome people in the program. So I, I'm loving this podcast. It's been so fun for me. I'm really looking forward to all the amazing guests you have lined up. And you have some fantastic ones. So yeah, stay tuned, everybody. Okay, well, I'll talk to you later. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? I love our awkward beginnings and endings. I can't edit. I can't. No, I think we should leave this in. (laughs) Oh. Oh. (laughs) Yes, talk to you later, Danielle. (laughs) Oh, too funny.